this week we're starting out real deep and serious. What is the meaning of life? Uh, so we are in a series in Philippi, if you're new joining us. Um, so we are, um, we're going to be going through the end of chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And today, um, I think we get to see Paul talk about life purpose and what is his life purpose, what motivates him to live and do what he did. Um, last week, we got to hear from Pastor Ryan uh, teaching on uh, kind of rejoicing and, and joy through suffering. Uh, talk, talked about Paul's experience in prison and uh, still how he just uh, was all about advancing the gospel. And uh, I think we get to see a little bit of the foundation for why he, he uh, thinks that. Um, but life purpose is a big topic. Um, as, we, uh, as we are out in the world and we engage with people, we know that that people are asking questions about life, and maybe you have asked similar questions. They're talking about things like find yourself. You've got you to gotta find the inner you, um, live a meaningful life, discover your purpose. Um, and uh, these types of ideas are just kind of floating out there. Uh, so we're asking today, you know, what is your purpose? Think about, think about that as we go through the text today. Uh, what is your purpose? Has God given you a purpose? Um, and what might that be? And I think Paul makes it pretty clear, and I think it's pretty universal about uh, what our purpose is here. But if you're to ask people out there, ask yourselves, um, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose? Why are we here? You might get a lot of different answers. Some of them would be on this list. To live long, um, uh, leave a legacy uh, is one. But to live long, uh, as I researched this a little bit, I learned that uh, the health industry is telling people, hey, if you want to be healthier, you got to find a purpose. Because people that live with purpose in their life, are, they're just healthier. They live longer. They don't care what the purpose is. They just want you to have one so that you live longer. And so for some people, their purpose is to have purpose, um, whatever that is. Um, so leaving a legacy is a big one. Probably a lot of people in this room would like to do that, um, having to do with uh, uh, raising your kids well. Live life to the fullest. Experience what you can maximize uh, that experience. Do what you love. Like, don't, don't let people t- tell you to do things you don't really like to do. Don't have a job that you don't like. Just do what you love, and that's the purpose of life. Uh, here again, leave a legacy idea. Raise successful children. I think this is huge in our culture. Um, I have four kids of my own, and it's important to me to raise up um, strong young believers. <laughs> and, uh, um, and if you have kids, you have the same passion. Um, but is that your purpose? Is that your life purpose to raise successful children? Um, here's one that came uh, across my path as I was doing more financial planning. Um, this is uh, the idea of being self-actualized. I still don't really understand what it is, but it kind of has the idea of I've arrived. Like I've done my due part in life, and now I'm financially independent, and, and uh, I just, I'm, I'm there. Um, so anybody? self-actualized here. Um, Again, just maximizing experiences. Uh, Contributing to society is a big one. People want to feel productive and like they're contributing to the progress of of what's going on in the community. Um, That that drives and that's their purpose. And then Ryan talked last week about happiness a little bit as it relates to joy and our understanding of uh, the differences between joy and happiness. Um, Aristotle said this about happiness, that happiness depends upon ourselves. Well, that's true 
a lot of you are in trouble. Um, so some of us are, are going to really struggle uh, to find purpose if we're looking for it in all these places. So if we look back at this list, all of these really do depend on ourselves, and they can all be taken away. And so I think we see Paul uh, give us here in this passage uh, his heart for ministry, his life purpose, and it's not something that can be taken away. And so we're going to look at that as we start here. Uh, but let's go ahead and pray before we begin, before we continue. Our God, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you together, uh, come to your word. We thank you that you give it to us, that you give us access to who you are, that we could have a relationship with you. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would uh, find that spot in our heart that needs growth today, or that you would challenge us from Paul's words, and uh, you would encourage us uh, to live for you uh, better, that we would find our purpose in you, and that... Uh, that we would be able to work together as a church to represent you well in the world. Uh, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so the title of the talk today is To Live is Christ, Purpose Beyond Belief. And uh, purpose beyond belief is a little bit of a play on words that, that we'll go into. But um, to live is Christ is kind of this lofty statement, and it starts this passage. So we're in... Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 30. And uh, I, the way I see it, it's kind of broken into two sections. I think in the first section, Paul is going to give us his heart for ministry, his heart for life, and the foundation for what comes later. For the, and, and then second, he'll give a challenge to the church in Philippi, which we uh, can learn from, I think. So the first step is to live to make much of Christ. And we're going to see uh, Paul show us how to do that. First off, by being motivated by a desire for Christ. So let's look at the text. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now that's a big statement that he makes. Um, and for a long time, I don't think I really understood it very well. I think I just didn't try, uh, honestly. It just seemed kind of big and ethereal and like not tangible. Like, I don't know what to do with that exactly. Um, but he p- explains it pretty well, so we'll go, we'll go through that. Um, but if you look preceding to this text, what Ryan preached on, we see that Paul's life was all about Christ. It was about the gospel. And so we know that for him to live is a life about Christ. And then, so then what is, if dying is gain, then probably we're thinking more Christ, right? Um, well, we'll get a little bit more from, from Paul here. Now, if I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Um, So he's kind of going through this mental dilemma here. I don't think he's actually having suicidal thoughts. Like I don't think he has the the mind that he's really choosing whether he's going to end it now or, or continue on. But he's given us a comparison of the difference between the two. And I think the one drives the other. And so that last statement there, that his desire is to depart, which is to die and be with Christ, is far better. And that tells us what he means by dying is gain. That more Christ, the best. Christ is supreme for Paul. Nothing else is better. And so that is what his ultimate desire would be, his ultimate purpose would be. And so we can start by asking ourselves, is that our ultimate desire? Do we desire Christ more than anything and more uh, at all times? 
Or do we most desire Christ like when we're in church on Sunday, worshiping with a nice tune and a melody that suits us, and we really feel close to Christ, and then we go home and you know, figure out our life purpose after that for some other thing. Um, but so, so that's kind of a motivating factor. What is your desire level for Christ? And for Paul, it's ultimate. Uh, but he knows that if he's to stay, to live in the flesh, he's got some fruitful labor ahead of him, whatever that is. But he'll explain later. And we know from history and for, uh, from the previous passage and from looking at other parts of what Paul has written, uh, what he means by fruitful labor also. But here we are, this dilemma. So this is the foundation to have a desire for Christ. As we move forward, um, we're going to keep this in mind. And, and this a quote up here is from John Piper. And this kind of summarizes it well. Um, he's a, a pastor in America, and he's got a ministry called Desiring God. But his kind of catchphrase, key phrase is this, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And Paul is absolutely satisfied in Christ as a model for us to live by. So um, and I thought that was, that's helpful, um, and their ministry is really helpful, has been helpful to me. So step one to making much of Christ is to just be, be motivated by a desire for Christ, desire him. And then the next step, if if... Paul's ultimate desire is to be with Christ. That's the very best thing for him. Then it makes sense that the best thing for other people would be for them to be connected with Christ, to have a desire for Christ. And so if Paul's going to stay behind on the earth and uh, not be with Christ for a period of time, he wants to give his life to help make that happen, to help others experience Christ more fully. And so we get that here in these verses. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Now, hold on. It kind of sounds like Paul maybe is begrudgingly sticking around. Like, if you all had your stuff figured out, I would be with Jesus right now, but I guess you need some work, so I'm going to stick around and help you. Um, So you can look at it that way, but we'll see very clearly that that's not Paul's heart at all. Um, and so we, we quickly go forward. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain <clears throat> and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So go back to that. It's not begrudging at all. Paul is interested in the progress and joy of the Philippian believers. Um, that they would grow in their faith and be nurtured, um, but not just for their own happiness or for them to feel a sense of accomplishment, but it is ultimately for them to see the glory of Christ Jesus, that he wants his life, the benefit of it, to help others' glory in Christ. And so this first section, verses 21 to 26, is all about Paul's foundational understanding and desire to be with Christ, both for himself and for the people around him. There's a really uh, key example of this in Paul's life uh, that he writes about in Romans 9. And so if, if you know about Paul, he was a Jew, and uh, he had lots of Jewish friends and, and, and family, um, even though ultimately he became known, uh, more well-known for his ministry of spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, but in Romans 9, he's talking about, uh, he writes about his fellow uh, friends and family, Jews, that are not responding to the gospel. 
He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying my conscience. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now, that is a huge statement that Paul makes because if we, especially coming from the passage we're in now, where Paul is saying Christ is everything. He's above all. He is the ultimate experience. He is who I desire to be with. Not you or you or you or you. Christ. And here he's saying, I will give that up. I will give up the one thing that I hold most dear, the one thing that I desire above all else, so that my brothers could have it. If I could do that, I would do it. That's Paul's heart. It's not begrudging in any uh, in any sense uh, of the imagination, but he is sincere about his desire to help uh, others know Christ, and that is true of how he feels about the Philippians uh, uh, as well. So that's Romans 9. So here we have our first section, uh, our first half of the passage kind of summed up here. Uh, Living to make much of Christ. Be motivated by your desire for Christ and live to help others experience Christ more fully. And you may recognize these as really similar to the greatest two commandments, which is to love God and to love people. So we see these ideas come up in different ways throughout Scripture, but they're there. They're always there. And so uh, it was uh, helpful to me to, to recognize that. So here we have Paul's example, his life, and now he's going to transition. So the first part of this chapter has been Paul kind of storytelling and encouraging but now he's going to give an exhortation or a challenge to the church about what he would hope they would be. And, uh, and I think this is part of our understanding of his idea of fruitful labor, that if he's going to work and stick around, he's going to give us an explanation of what he would like to see as fruit from that labor. Uh, so step two, if we're founded in Christ, number one, then Paul's challenge to the church is, Go all in for the gospel. All in for the gospel. So in these first two verses of this section, he's going to say, take a bold stand for the gospel. That's number one as a church. Take a bold stand. So let's look at it. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm, in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So, we're going to back up now. So, we got the picture here. Paul's giving his challenge to the church. And this is a description of what a life worthy of the gospel is. So this is important to kind of key into, right? If we want to live for the Lord, we want to live for Christ, here's a good, good idea of what might that look like, especially in the context of church. Um, so really there's three components in this uh, second half of verse 27 and the first half of verse 28. We get three things. Number one, standing firm. 
This is the idea that we are standing firm, true to the one gospel, that we uh, are not steering from a diff- to a different gospel, even if people come in with different teachings. And, uh, and we take this really seriously at Involved Church. And uh, so we do our best to teach uh, and preach according to the Bible and according to what God's Word says. In fact, one of the most encouraging things to me this week was in preparation for uh, today, uh, we have a preaching and teaching team. So Pastor Ryan and Luke and myself, and now with Josh Carpenter coming in, uh, we had a group time of just, uh, basically they were just helping me understand this passage a little bit better. And, and that's, that's born out of this desire to stand firm, to be true to the gospel, and so that we're on one page, in one spirit. And uh, it was a really encouraging time for me. And so that's an example of what that looks like. With one mind striving side by side. So this word striving can be translated, uh, maybe you have a different translation. Maybe it says contending or struggling. Or even uh, at least one translation I found uh, uses the word fighting. And so this is really the idea that, that we are together, kind of arms linked in the trenches, uh, fighting for the faith of the gospel, contending that we're working hard to bring the gospel into the world, uh, working hard for that faith. Um, one, of the, one of the analogies Josh mentioned to me was this idea, uh, our, uh, how rugby works. Like, I don't know much about rugby. Anybody know rugby? So you should come up and... no. All I know about rugby is that I don't want to do it, um, pretty much. But, but if you watch it, basically the guys, they're all link arms. There's no space. It's like the grossest thing you could probably want to do. Uh, but but their they're arms locked really tight, and they just kind of move back and forth. And I think it's called a scrum or something. I don't, I don't really know. But to watch them link, that's the picture I get. That was a really good imagery of being... Uh, they're striving together, kind of in the trenches. And, and if you see those guys after their match is done, like the one word that comes to mind is fight. You know, like they were just in a fight. Um, and so this is kind of a strange reality of the life of the church. Like, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, of what that looks like for us to strive and contend for the gospel. Um, but uh, we'll move on from there for now. Just kind of keep that in your mind. Uh, but then in all of this, we're not frightened. Or he, Paul says to the Philippians, don't be frightened. Be fearless. Be bold. Don't, be, uh, uh, don't, don't um, take a step back from your opponents, but, but stand there and, and be fearless. Uh, so uh, as we go forward, the, the verse 28 finishes like this. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. So two things in this verse to draw out. One, starting at the bottom there, this is all from God. That, that salvation is from God and, and, um, and the motivation to live faithfully as a church comes from God. Um, but then at the beginning there, there is a clear, this is a clear sign to them, which would be the opponents from uh, the, the, re- the previous verse or previous part of that verse, not frightening anything by your opponents. And we'll look at who the opponents are in just a second. But this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. So 
a church living worthy of the gospel is testimony to the world of the genuine gospel, of the genuine God, of the genuine believers in that church, and is testimony to the world that they are not part of it. And that's part of the gospel. And we'll talk about how that the gospel draws that line in the sand, so to speak. Um, but real quick, I don't have this up on the screen, but just kind of sneak peeking ahead. One of these other guys will be preaching on Philippians chapter 3 later. But in uh, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3, we see some similar language. Uh, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That's actually verse 17. Um, so keep in, join in imitating me and, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom... Page turn. Many of whom have often, who I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, again, Paul's compassion, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, if you were to ask yourself, who... Who can you think of that's an opponent of the gospel? Like, would you, would you think of, like, anybody that you know, would you come up with any names, opponents of the gospel, where you'd be willing to say they are destined for destruction? That'd be hard to come up with names, right? Because we don't want to make judgment calls like that. That's tough. Right here, Paul's saying, it's those whose God is their belly, they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Um, so we're going to let somebody else preach on that, but just to kind of help us understand a little bit who's at stake here, I think sometimes we see some of these phrases because they are serious phrases, and we want to just set them aside and, and step around it, okay? But there are people that you know in your family, at your workplace, at your school, that are destined for destruction. And this is a reminder that we are in a spiritual battle, that life as church is a spiritual battle with eternal consequences and great impact. And so this is why we are so, uh, this is why standing firm on the true gospel is so important to us as leaders. It's why we care about church planting to get the gospel out, to grow and expand the gospel. It's why Paul was so intent on establishing churches, not just uh, sharing the gospel and moving on and never coming back. Uh, One of the things that our church is engaged in is called the Antioch School. Raise your hand if before I just said that you knew about the Antioch School. So, some. Now, keep your hand raised if you knew that Involved Church does the Antioch School. Okay? Okay. And keep them up if you know that right now we have a class going on for the Antioch School called the Pauline Epistles. Okay. Raise your hand if you know that you can take that course if you like to next time it's offered. (laughs) Okay. So Antioch School is um, an opportunity for us to invest in people who are going to be going into leadership, but also to invest in whoever we can to help the church be established and rooted and grounded in the one true gospel. Right. And so uh, the reason why I'm in the course is because I'm working toward being a, being a church planning pastor. 
And that excites me. That's something that I care about. And it's because of this that it drives us, right? That there is eternal consequence for how we interact with people and for our life as believers. So we're going to move on from there a little bit. We'll come back to it probably. Uh, But all the time remembering that our motivation is Christ. We're not with Christ yet, so our motivation, so then our life purpose becomes help others know Christ. And the life of the church looks like this when we're doing that. That's a life worthy of the gospel, uh, is what Paul says. All right, so quick summary. Going all in for the gospel means taking a bold stand for the gospel. As a church, we're locked in step. We're together. We're in this. And then the last piece is that we should be prepared to suffer beyond belief. Are we ready for that? Uh, this, is a, this is a tough, tough uh, section of the passage, I think, uh, for us to internalize. But here we go. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Who wants to tap out? Um, So here we have Paul talking about conflict and suffering. Come on, Paul. I got to know if I want to get a letter from Paul, you know, Um, because he's going to ask us to do some hard stuff. He's going to teach us about the Christian life in a way that maybe we aren't ready for. Um, But here's a couple things. For one, this all, again, is granted by God. He says it again. Um, But uh, really key here is that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So we're going to talk about suffering in a minute. Whether you like it or not, we're going to talk about it. And it's going to be hard. Uh, but I want to make a point that it's suffering for Christ's sake that we're talking about. There's a lot of suffering in the world, a lot of hardship, a lot of hard stuff. Um, and in America, we kind of can trivialize hard things, right? Um, have you seen this hashtag before or heard this phrase? The struggle is real. Like you go visit your friends and kids are running around. They're all crazy. Like, yeah, the struggle is real, man. The struggle is real. Or Russ is not getting sleep because he just, you know, his wife just had a baby and he's up all night. He's like, struggle is real. Yeah. Well, if you Google struggle is real, like I did, you get some of these things pop up. Kind of give you an indication of what's hard for Americans. I just bought $200 worth of groceries and then I ordered pizza because I don't feel like cooking after the hustle of grocery shopping. It's so hard. But if you've gone grocery shopping with one kid, then you know. It can be tough. Um, how about this one? Here's a word that's kind of new. You heard the word adulting? That's like existing for one day. And then you're just pooped out. The struggle's real. <clears throat> this one I found is actually an advertisement for a sermon series. The struggle is real, overcoming big and small challenges like running out of toilet paper. That's a big deal. Or maybe that's a small challenge. I, I should tune into that sermon series. Um, but anyways, I share those just to kind of give us a contrast of some of the things we talk about. 
So these are the, a lot of this passage has to do with how we interact with the world, how we interact with each other. And our conversations often are driven by these kind of trivial things, right? That I didn't get sleep or, you know, life's been hard or had this crazy experience at Walmart uh, where, like, I parked and the guy, the guy dinged my car. And anyways, my wife has a story about that. You can ask her. We won't tell her. She doesn't go to Walmart anymore, though, so it's a big deal for her. Uh, but in Scripture, we get some extremely different examples of struggle, of suffering, right? Early in the life of the church in Jerusalem, um, the apostles had this experience. You can find it in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 to 42 is where it's, it's a little bit broader than that, but I'm just picking this part. It says, and when they, had, when they which is the, um, the Jewish leaders, had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Well, they were rejoicing after getting beat. But they weren't rejoicing because of their suffering. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. They were rejoicing that, that they were able to persevere, that, that, that their message was true. It was kind of validation that, that their message was was clear. But that, I wanted to include this verse because I think it's key. And every day in the temple and from house to house, so everywhere, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, that Christ is Jesus. But they were told specifically, do not speak in the name of Jesus. They got beat. Don't do that. Woohoo! They beat us because we were doing that. Let's go do some more of it. And that's what they did. Now, this is really extreme, and so we kind of have a problem here, I think, because we don't relate very well with imprisonment for the gospel or beatings for the gospel, things like that. We just don't, because we have freedom to do that in our country, right? We have freedom to share the gospel, to tell people about Christ. Um, We're generally not at risk of getting physical harm by sharing the gospel, um, and if you do go to jail or you get hurt, you're probably doing something other than sharing the gospel to, to earn that or deserve that. Um, so, so I think it's, it's good for us to, act, to, instead of just saying, ah, that doesn't apply to me because that was really bad times back then and we have freedom. America's not like that. And then just move on from the passage. Like we need to understand what this is about because Paul is including the struggle and the suffering as part of what it is to be a Christian. So what's at risk here, really? Well, relationships is number one. I think that's the biggest one, probably. You got friends and family who don't know Christ. or You have friends and family that maybe just don't like hearing about Jesus. Um, maybe you talked about Jesus once upon a time, but you just stopped because they don't like hearing it. Um, but they're fun people to be around, so you keep hanging out with them to do stuff, spend time with them. And maybe eventually they will, they will uh, come around. And so there's some relationships, but uh, I'll just take a step back, literally. And this is a really hard list to go through. And for, uh, for me, it's been a big tension to deal with the suffering that we find in 
in uh, Scripture and how that applies to us. What does it mean? Um, I'm going to go back to this. Oops. Yeah, I won't do that. We'll, we'll go through these. But um, don't hear me saying you've got to ruin all your relationships. You've got to quit your job. You've got to do all these things, okay? All this has to come before the Lord. And remember, don't forget where we started. It's all founded on a desire and affection for Christ. And we're, our goal is to have compassion for people to the point that they can see Christ. Okay? But we do want to be contending for the gospel. So in relationships, you've got to make a judgment call sometimes, right? And in a job setting, I don't know of many people that have lost their job for their faith. But I think, I know from personal experience, I have chosen not to have spiritual conversations because I was afraid of what my coworkers might say, might think, of what my employer might do if I start talking about the gospel with people. Okay, so it does impact how we interact with the world. We may think, ah, we're not persecuted here. But sometimes we preemptively make decisions not to share the gospel, not to live outward with our faith because of that perceived persecution. And so we need to uh, step into these areas of our life with Christ first and foremost as our, as our desire and our affection, living as though to die would be gain. And that can mean living as though losing your job were gain. That's um, no, not... If it's for the gospel, okay? Remember that we are, we are uh, called to suffer for the sake of the gospel, not just to suffer. Remember those, those disciples did not uh, rejoice because they got beat. They rejoiced because they were counted worthy. So we need to pay attention to that. Um, here's a few more examples. We'll go through them quickly. Financial security. Sometimes living for the gospel, living for Christ is going to cost you money. And, and maybe a lot of money. Maybe it costs you a section of your home because you are letting people live there. Or maybe people take advantage of you. That's a big one. When you put yourself out there for the gospel, you're at risk. Are you okay with that? Uh, lost time, which means investing time and energy in people. You will get burned um, living for the gospel. There is a lot of sweat, blood, and tears. I don't know how much blood really, but, uh, but there's a lot of effort that goes into living for the gospel as a church, okay? Well, I was talking with Luke, Pastor Luke, this week or in our uh, teaching time, our, our, our group. He, he shared, I don't know if, uh, he, he was saying that I, I feel uh, joy when I serve, right? And, and I, I enjoy that, so he's had a hard time to connect that suffering. But I know for a fact that he works his tail off to do a lot of things that, that have to happen for church life to function, right? And it's mostly relational things, and they are a struggle at times um, that, that we're investing in. And so the, the last one I have on the list is church programs. And so what, what's at risk with church programs? I thought we're doing programs as a church is a good thing, right? Because we're trying to serve in the community and serve each other. Um, but as leaders, we have to be careful and we have to evaluate uh, the programs and make sure that we are uh, encouraging people through our programs to do things for the sake of the gospel. That we're not just doing things to do things, right? That we're not just keeping ourselves busy. 
um, out in the community doing things that any other organization can do. That our purpose, the reason God put us in this church is to expand and spread the gospel. All right. So we're going to move on from that real quick here. We're getting close to the end. Engage in the same conflict. Now, I mentioned before that the gospel has a conflict with it. Um, So this isn't that he's calling the Philippians to go out and find new conflict. He's saying, look, you and I, we're in this together. As believers, we are in a conflict because the gospel makes it so. And so we have to be careful that we aren't just shying away from any opportunity. Anytime we see that conflict start to take shape, we just step around it. I don't want to touch that. And I think that is predominant in our culture, our American culture, because it's so easy just to, hmm, I don't want to deal with that for right now, and then have a fun, cordial time. It's uh, really easy to be nice and, and uh, superficial, if you will. Um, so we, as, a, as a church, we have to work and strive together to contend for the faith. And it's teamwork, and we can do that together. So, I mean... In all of these things, if you have a job situation or relationship situation where you've thought, man, I was going to share Christ with them or I was going to just share with them what God did in my life, and then I didn't, and I stepped back. And those are things that we just need to pray about together and, and work together to find opportunities where you can engage with uh, those people. All right. So uh, just one thought as on the suffering topic as we close is that, We don't want to be seeking out suffering for suffering's sake. That's not what it's about. Paul was suffering for Christ's sake, for the sake of the gospel. So I always want to keep that in mind, that Christ is first and foremost. And step one is we want to ask ourselves, are we desiring Christ above all else? Above our job, above our, our family even? That we're not pursuing things that are different than Christ. And because we are here in this church setting, that we are engaged actively in helping others uh, know Christ and to spread the gospel. And so, if you can ask yourself, to what degree am I suffering? Um, and your answer is, I'm suffering enough. Look, I'm good. I challenge you to consider that that might not be the right answer. Paul calls us, and Christ will call us, to press on, press forward not worrying about what the impacts are, um, but to live for Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the opportunity to live for you. We thank you for the example of Paul, our brother, who shows us what it means to give up his life, what it means to give up our own life for the sake of the gospel. Lord, cause us to... Look for those opportunities in our heart and in our relationships, out in the world, in the church, where we can work together to stand firm for the gospel, or that we could not be fearless, but be bold, not be in fear, but be bold. Lord, stir up in us a desire to love you, to serve you, and to work together for the glory of Christ. It's in his name we pray.